Welcome to the BNP Rome Podcast, Season 2. Once again, this is your host, Brian, and as always, thanks for joining me. Welcome to Episode 25. B is for bugger your vaccine mandate, Biden. On this weekend, where many are remembering where they were 20 years ago on 9-11 and grieving over all the many lives lost and treasure wasted, both on that day and in the years to come, as a result of actions that were taken in response to that tragic day, well, I suppose it should come as no surprise that President Joe Biden took the opportunity to kick off the weekend with a speech demonizing tens of millions of Americans while formulating a vaccine mandate policy that his administration said as recently as two months ago wasn't its role to do. You're either with us or you're against us. Yes, folks, Tom fuckery abounds, and if you can't figure out the meaning of that word, well, perhaps this isn't the episode for you. Or perhaps it is. I don't know. All I know is I've been in a feisty mood the past few days, but somehow I was able to piece together this episode which takes two clips I recorded last Sunday when I was a little bit more mellow and depressed, and a few I recorded just yesterday. The clips from last Sunday focus on a discussion of the freedom versus safety dichotomy, while also digging into why my memories of the unpopular stance I took on 9-11 and after it give me more confidence in my unpopular stances today. The latter half of the episode is where I discuss the Biden vaccine mandate, which I really do believe may be the final straw that breaks the back of the United States as a cohesive nation. I've sometimes spoken about how I have pondered if the 2020s will be for the U.S. what the 1980s were to the USSR, and how I will give a percentage chance that I believe the United States will survive the decade. Well, I think I would put that percent at the lowest I've ever put it, maybe around 25%. If Trump played an overt role in dividing the nation with his rhetoric, Biden is, whether knowingly or not, playing a covert one with his policies. Anyway, I don't want to steal all my thunder, so I'll leave these opening thoughts here and ask that, if you haven't already, consider following me on social media. You can see those uh, links in the show notes, uh, sharing my show with friends, and giving it a review on iTunes. At this point, my podcast is basically a little passion project, a way for me to keep kind of a verbal diary of these crazy times. But I have been told by some of you that you appreciate my perspective, so if that's the case, let others know about it, would you? Okay, with all that out of the way, I hope wherever you are that you are well, hanging in there. And for now, as always, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Sunday, September 5th, 2021, 9.52 a.m. I'm in a different spot today. I am on the same river, but I'm upriver from where I usually record, which is uh, within walking distance of my house. This is about, mm, well, by bike, I'm about 15 minutes from my house, 10 or 15 minutes. So it's also within walking distance. It's just not quite as close. You might notice the ambiance has changed from the past episodes. That's right. The cicadas are... I think you can hear them very faintly, but the sound now is more crickets. Which, yeah, when it comes to the ambiance of crickets versus cicadas, I would say crickets are much more relaxing. So my state of mind today, I'm feeling open-hearted, feeling a certain amount of grief and sadness right now. Just got done doing some grocery shopping. My energy was a little bit, has been a little bit low this morning. It seems to be perking up here a little bit here, uh, thanks to getting out on the bike ride and, well, probably the time of the day, and also the music I was just listening to. Uh, 
and some experiences I just had on the bike path. And I want to speak to that for a minute. You know, I'm reflecting as I often do when I'm out on my bike rides. I'm thinking about where we're at in terms of how we see each other, how we're relating to each other, and uh, the fear that we have of each other. So I was going by a man about five or ten minutes ago. So this man, I'm going by him. You know, I'm on my bike, and I don't wear a mask when I'm on my bike. I, I don't wear a mask when I'm outdoors by myself, ever. And uh, he had a mask in his hand. And as I went by him, he put it up to his face. And my thought was, my life, my existence, he feels is threatening his existence. You know, just me passing by is a threat to him in his mind. And then I thought, so it's, again, it's my life. Not, 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 nothing to do with anything. I mean, it's just my life, you know, my being here, the fact that I could be carrying some sort of disease that he fears he could catch is a threat to his safety and his sense of life. And then I was thinking, yeah, it's the, I was just, I went one step deeper and I was like, life threatens death, you know? And then I was thinking, well, of course, life and death are, we can't live without dying. Like it's two sides of the same coin. And, uh, yeah. So I understand the, the safety feeling that people are concerned about. I do, you know, I was on a call this morning with Charles Eisenstein and Charles brought up, there's a, one of the memes from the Burning Man festival is safety third. And he said, they don't say what's first or second, but they, they just say safety third, which means, yeah, safety is important, but it's not the most important or the second most important. And yeah, like I re I resonate with that, that, you know, it's not that I'm saying no safety doesn't matter, you know, like do absolutely crazy stuff. And, but if I make safety the only concern, then what kind of life will I live? What kind of life will we live? And uh, to me, it doesn't feel like really living if I'm always concerned about safety. And I, I reflect upon going to the U.S. and going to playgrounds when, you know, my kids were younger and how, to me, they were overly safe um, for kids. And, you know, on one hand, I totally understand that as parents, we don't want our kids to get hurt. Um, but what are we losing when we make everything totally safe? And I would suggest that we lose some of the, the thrill of living and some of the spirit of living and some of the lessons of living and some of the autonomy of living. Like when you go out, let's say you go out and you skateboard and you fall and you skin your knee, well, maybe instead of making the skateboard park so soft that you can't skin your knee, like maybe that person's lesson could be, all right, I didn't like that feeling, so I'm going to get knee pads, right? So then they have a choice in the matter, you know? Like, But maybe the other person who falls and skins their knee was like, oh, that really wasn't, you know, that hurt in the moment, but it wasn't so bad, so I'm fine with it. And it gets to, you know, I, I had a conversation this week on Facebook, which I'm, well, I won't say, I got, you know, I'm growing in awareness of how that medium is really challenging to have these conversations, but, and how, why I'm not going on there nearly as much as I used to. But anyway, I had a conversation this week, yeah, kind of about these topics, and it came up, someone was, you know, we were talking about laws for having to wear a bicycle helmet, and... I said, I'm not in support of those laws. You know, I said, for me, when I ride a bike, I don't want to wear a helmet. And I said, for me, the joy I get, the sensual pleasure I get 
which leads to increased mental health that I get from riding with the wind going through my hair outweighs the that, that the benefits of that outweighs the risk I'm taking of not wearing a bike helmet. Now, if I was biking, you know, in New York City or San Francisco or somewhere where there's a lot of traffic, then I'd probably be more, you know, I might think, well, the risk here is more great. You know, I should probably wear because there's a lot of, you know, cars around and it's concrete and, you know, so maybe I should wear a helmet. But 99% of my biking is done places like I'm at right now, which are paths for bikes and walkers. So I don't feel there's any great threat to me. And I've been biking here for 16 years and I've never had any accident here that have with any injury. I've had three bike accidents and all three of them um, had a few issues for my bike but none none of them were my fault and um, they all happened in a relatively short time frame too which is interesting but yeah so when I bike now I take personal responsibility I look at all cars as potential threats to me so I treat every driver as someone who's not paying attention to me um, or might even be somewhat hostile to me or kind of like ah screw bikers I don't need to worry um, so I'm very defensive around cars. But recently, a couple of years ago, I was in a when I was working for the schools here, they were giving us this suggestion. It wasn't an order, it wasn't a mandate, but it was kind of a strong suggestion that we should all buy bike insurance. Um, and the reason they were arguing that was not for our protection, you know, because apparently there had been some teacher who had run into some person walking and caused that person all this damage, and then they, you know. It costs them a lot of money and this and that. And when I heard it, I thought, well, you know, that's an awful story, but maybe. And it's not that that can't happen. It can, you know. But having said that, bike carefully, you know, responsibly. Today I've had a couple of incidences here on the bike roads where it felt to me like the walkers who were on the road were not paying enough attention to the fact that it's a bike road. It's called a cycling road. <laughs> so... You know, I often think to myself when I see some of these people walking out in front of me, I'm like, if you were, you know, going onto a road with cars, would you be so callous? Well, you should kind of think the same way. So, you know, this person that hit this biker that hit the walker, you know, our our job was kind of saying, you know, if you hit somebody on a bike that is walking, it's kind of seemed to be your fault. I'm like, well, that's I don't know, you know, why that assumption would be made because people walking sometimes do stupid shit you know but having said that i'm really careful around people walking I, again i kind of treat i treat everybody that gets in my in in my path as a fucking moron you know like this person's a moron they're not paying attention you know and i and i i'm exaggerating a little bit but i, I you know i watch people and i watch their you know get a sense of do they notice me are they aware of me but i i just i'm on i have a high awareness you know and, and that to me is me saying look i know i'm taking a risk here i don't have insurance i don't have a helmet but I'm going to, instead of getting, because when I heard this thing about getting insurance, I thought, well, that's a, that would be a way for me to kind of be like, well, I don't have to be careful now. I, you know, I've got insurance. And in a way, it could lead to me being less, you know, more more prone to having an accident. Because I'm like, well, I'm covered. Well, I don't want to have an accident. So anyway, I would rather be in that sense of awareness and not have to pay money to some company to kind of let me be free not to have that awareness, you know? Um, and I feel the same way about wearing a bike helmet. Just that, I mean, it could be a little different, but I'm thinking about some, one of my friends, he was saying, and I didn't like what he was saying to me because he was like, you know, it's like the, the safety studies show that, you know, it's dangerous and all this. And he was going on that and just, you know, not anyway. And then he was like, if you, if you were to die, like, you know, how, how do you think if you were in heaven, you, you, you know, you would feel, would you still feel the same way about, I really enjoyed the, you know, having to bike the wind in my hair and you know what about your kids and all and it was just like a lot of guilt tripping and like I didn't I didn't appreciate the tone and the way he was approaching me again I think there there could have been a way for him to raise those thoughts with me and those comments that would have felt a lot less aggressive and that gets me to you know the topic of the day which is the the vaccine mandate because that's how this thread started I'd asked uh some people you know, if you're in support of vaccine mandates, you know, what are you trying to achieve? Or what do you hope they achieve? What do you hope they achieve? Okay, I had to pause for a while there. But getting back to what I was saying, I posted this thread 
And people's answers were, you know, what do they want to achieve with the vaccine? It was, you know, stopping the spread, fewer deaths, um, relieving the pressures on the healthcare system. Uh, and again, you know, vaccine mandates. I don't know if I just said that or not, but, and I understand all those reasons. Um, you know, I do understand all those reasons, but I don't think, uh, well, it's interesting because I've been thinking about, and maybe I'll post this as the, as the episodes cover art, someone in one of the groups I'm in posted this picture of the 2021 version of Plato's allegory of the cave. And it shows the media, like people, you know, looking at the shadows on the wall. And then behind that, it shows the media is like the ones putting the shadows. And then behind that, there's a fire. And it's like the powers that control that media. You know, the fire is the one creating the shadows. And then there's people like seeking truth who are above kind of climbing out of the cave. And then there's people who are outside of the cave on the outside looking kind of at nature and the world. And it's like they're in reality. And I was thinking about this and reflecting on it and thinking that it's true for all of us. This is actually something I've been thinking about the past few days is how, you know, we're all citing these statistics and these things we've heard and this and that. But it's all the vast majority of the stuff we're, we're citing is coming to us through whatever media we're putting our trust into, you know. And so, you know. The media I'm following have talked about how there are issues, there are questions about, well, I, well, I shouldn't even just say the media I'm following. I thought, I thought this was something that came out like in the, like August, like the early August. I mean, from the CDC, I thought it was like August 6th. That's the, the date I have in my mind that, you know, vaccinated people can spread this thing. So to me, the idea that like, okay, if we get everybody vaccinated, it'll stop the spread. I'm like, well, wait a minute. I thought that it was kind of out in the media now that, you know, from, from the, 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 the side, the pro, the pro vaccine mandate side, I thought in the, that it was understood now that that's not an argument anymore. Cause I remember when I heard that news, I was like, well, that's good news for people like me who are saying these vaccine mandates are a really dangerous precedent to set. And we're going down a really a dangerous path because I, I see that, this is kind of more of the world of control that Charles Eisenstein speaks of. And I, I do see how this is connected to a new system, a kind of biosecurity state that will be somewhat similar to the Chinese social credit system, you know. And it's interesting. I bring that up and I'm like, I'm having this trepidation and bringing it up because I'm I know that people will go, that's a right wing talking point or that's a conspiracy theory. And, you know, and it's like. If you want me to give the reasons why I think the vaccine mandates are a bad idea, and you want me to kind of, you know, speak to the systemic reasons, like how, you know, what kind of culture, what kind of world do we want to live to, I have to tell you what I've looked into and what, you know, where I see things going. And that's where I see it going. You know, I mean, we look at, okay, Israel. Israel right now. I was looking at their numbers yesterday. And. This is a country that apparently is majority has been vaccinated. I'm not sure what the percentage is, but that's what they that's again, that's what's reported in the mainstream press. And yet in the past uh, several like, week or two, I'm not sure what the exact dates, but um, their their cases have been skyrocketing. And so, again, it's like, well, wait, is this vaccine stopping people from getting sick or not well i i can now i now i can speak from some personal experience my mom has been vaccinated but two weeks ago she got covid19 so and we know that you know and then they, they refer to these as breakthrough cases well okay um and some vaccines are better at stopping breakthrough cases than others you know, like I believe, I'm not sure about this, but I believe vaccines like for chicken pox or vaccines for measles are much better at stopping such cases. Again, I'm not sure about that. You'd have to check me on that. But these are the questions we need to be asking. And so if you're saying like, look, if everybody got if we had a vaccine mandate that will some, that will make it so everybody gets this, 
Um, and then, then we'll have fewer deaths and we'll have fewer, you know, fewer cases and stop, stop the spread. But we have to look into those questions. Like, is that actually accurate? You know? Um, but okay. Having said all that, the questions I have are in kind of my, my reasons are, and, and Charles Eisenstein was speaking about this this morning that, you know, he was saying when he had a, a child, a baby, and then there there was required all these vaccinations, his gut said no. And he's like, but I can't use that to argue to someone else because, like, their gut might say yes, you know. And so, but there is a lot of that with me for, you know, there, there, there are, there are, there is this gut feeling also within me, this instinct, this intuition, this, like, that, for me personally, getting these vaccines is not a good idea, you know? Um, and I, and I'm not going to ignore that, you know? And so when you start mandating things as a society, you're telling people that, you know, you might have gut instincts and, you know, intuitions about things, but you got to do this anyway, you know? And that, and so that is, that is a threat to a person's sense of sovereignty and autonomy and free will. And I will say this too, okay? I think when I look back on my life and kind of my my sense of where the world was is going, I would say I've been a lot more accurate than the masses about predicting things. So back in the 90s, I started listening to this this guy. I remember he was on a late night radio show host who um, on in California, and this guy was, you know. I believe, I don't remember if he identified himself as being um, from the right, but he was speaking about where he saw the economy going and kind of how the America was going to become more and more of a third world type country in the sense of, you know, you'd have a really increasing wealth divide and an increasing lower and middle class and all the jobs being shipped off to, you know, the working class jobs were being shipped off to China. And a lot of it was, you know, it's interesting because some of the critique that this guy had was some of the critique I was reading from, you know, a lot of the kind of more, what you would say, far left critique of the system and, you know, of the Bill Clinton regime and NAFTA and all and this and that. But this guy, like I said, I believe, and I might have found this out later, but this guy came from the right, you know, the right. And, uh, but I remember bringing that up in the nineties and, you know, at the newspaper I worked at and being kind of laughed out of the room. Like, oh, that's, you know, America's, you know, we just beat the Soviet Union. Like we're in great shape. And then flash forward, and this is on my mind right now because it's coming up on the anniversary, but flash forward to 9-11, like right after 9-11, I got in trouble at my job because I wrote this essay like we were told like the day or two after 9-11, um, and again, I think it, because I was speaking out from my perspective and, you know, other people were talking about, we got to, we got to get these guys and all this and that. And I was like kind of speaking out, like saying, I'm not sure about that and this and that. And everybody else had been talking for a good 20 minutes, but then when I, and, and the, and the owners of this company were like, it's fine. And I guess because everybody was kind of agreeing with that, um, but when I when I came in and like offered some counter to it, all of a sudden the owners were like, "Oh, we we, we can't talk politics in the office, everybody, you know." And it was kind of like I took it at the time as like, "Well, wait a minute, like, so I can't talk about my politics." Like they were all talking about it for 20 minutes, and it was it was unnerving me. And so I spoke up, and then but now I'm seeing how in that situation, you know, there was a harmony in the group, and I created this this way this ripple in the pond, and um, you know, I can see how. From their perspective, it's like, all right, this is leading to, you know, workplace disharmony and stuff. But it, it's interesting how, you know, there there are times where every the people, the masses are all speaking up in a group. And from the perspective of the owners, let's say, you know, the owners of the company, but the owner, the rulers of society, it's like, OK, everything's fine. The masses are all on, on board. But, you know, maybe 10 percent, 20 percent of people are in that group are sitting there feeling uncomfortable. And so. The harmony that you think is there on the surface is actually not really there. It's just the people, you know, the 10, 20 percent are Richard Nixon's silent majority. Well, they're not the majority, but, you know, they're they're afraid to speak up because the group is so strident in their opinions. But 
point is we you know i don't think we ever really get to a situation where there's a hundred percent agreement but when you get the society you know like a, a kind of a like a set group kind of perspective and like they're really outspoken and they're loud in their perspective then people who are more quiet and uh maybe have a different perspective will maybe not speak up but so i spoke up and then i i wrote i i decided i was like well i can't talk about it but i'm gonna just write an essay when i go home and i'll put it on my desk and i'll tell people if you want because i a few people in that in that room uh, uh said to me you know confided in me yeah actually I, I have been having some of those same thoughts or whatever right and so I wrote an essay and I just told the office, I said, you guys, I know we're not going to talk about it, but I've written an essay. And if you want to read my thoughts, then you're free to take it. And and then I got in trouble for that. It was like, well, we can't be sharing political literature at the office, you know. And yet what I was saying at the time was like, I'm really because there was starting to be this talk then about, you know, moving to Afghanistan and stuff. And I'm like, I'm just really concerned about where this might go and what this might do to the country. And. You know, like we have to kind of be a little bit more measured in our response. There's not this, you know, I know there's this trauma, but sometimes the, the worst thing you can do in a, in a traumatic situation is to react quickly, you know. And I felt like that our emotions were being manipulated by uh, the media and by the politicians and such and such. So I share that. That was my feeling back then. And now here we are 20 years later, you know, my 9-11's anniversary is coming up this week and we've just... America has just withdrawn from Afghanistan and, you know, it was a kind of a botched withdrawal, kind of, I should just say it was, you know, was not a very uh, orderly withdrawal and, you know, people, some lives were lost and all sorts of, you know, mayhem and critique and all that. And I don't want to get into that topic, but point being, you know, they withdrew and now the people who, the Taliban who we were going there to quote unquote kind of overthrow and, you know, um, and get bin Laden like, um, because they were behind the whole thing. Well, they're now back in power. So I feel a little bit like those concerns I had back then have been proven to be correct concerns. And like, yeah, what did we spend on, you know, and I know a lot of soldiers are feeling this these days, like this kind of like, what did I go over there for? What was the point of all that? You know, what did my what did my brother die for? A little note from the future here. I'm going to be putting a clip from Russell Brand in the show notes where he plays a soldier from Afghanistan and who is exactly the kind of person I was speaking about when I made that comment. And that soldier, in another sign of the times, was sacked for putting out his message on the Instagram where basically he was asking for accountability for the leaders who sent his, him and his brothers and sisters into harm's way in Afghanistan. Anyway, check out that clip. It's a good one. Now, let's go back to the past where I will continue the Riverside Rambler. For what did my, you know, um, and so... And then the last one I'll just bring up is the whole WMDs in Iraq, like the media that I was following. And again, my gut was telling me, like, I don't know if there really are WMDs. And this seems like, you know, the media I was following was basically saying this, you know, they had this plan to go into Iraq and they've been wanting this since the late 90s. And they were looking for a new Pearl Harbor, you know, all this stuff, the project for a new American century, all this stuff that was kind of in the alternative news and like you might find it occasionally on some of the like i remember like phil donahue had a show on that got canceled by msnbc because he was questioning you know um the, the, the desire to go for war so i went out in the streets with people and marched against the war in iraq and you know millions did around the world and to be honest with you i'm still shocked that you know i thought well, maybe there aren't well, like I didn't really, I never really believed that Saddam had weapons of mass destruction. I thought that was way overhyped. But I thought, well, even if he doesn't have them, they're going to say they found them, you know. But they, they never did. That, that still shocks me to this day because I'm like, are they, you know, it seemed like it could have been something they could have just fudged, but they didn't. And so, yeah, so point being, I feel like on a lot of these kind of like cultural issues where there's been sort of a mainstream narrative, I've questioned it and then turns out, my questioning, you know, that that became like a few years later, it was like, oh, some stuff has been revealed and like, oh, yeah, 
the mainstream was wrong about that. So that does give me a sense now that me questioning the the vaccine passports and mandates and stuff is like, you know, and then there and then there does there can feel sometimes in my in my sharing of people this sense of being you know a bit of a Cassandra, you know, which is Cassandra's, uh, I guess her she was the prophet in the the story goes, you know, she was speaking about things that were coming and no one listened to her and then those things came about. So you know, I can I can feel into that archetype. Um, and yeah, and so and so I'm the what frustrates me is the kind of same sort of tactics that get used that were used on me back then. You know, the the kind of the the scoffing, the quick dismissals, the um, the treating like you know that's just a you know just kind of the, the, the just the not taking seriously. You know, not not actually engaging me on the topic. You know. That's that can be really hard and uh, yeah, but okay. I'm going to uh, stop this here. Uh, maybe I'll have more for later, but I got to get back home. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's more that will come up, but that is the opening salvo for this episode. And thanks for listening so far. Saturday, September 11th, 2021. 6.55 a.m. I'm on the park bench near the river. A lot on my mind, but I want to start by talking about yesterday's announcement and uh, by the Biden administration and by Mr. Biden himself about the federal government mandates uh, for vaccine mandates for companies with 100 employees or more. Well, there's more to it than that, but I'll just keep it simple. That's the headline. And, yeah, I'm not surprised that this is where it's gone. I was thinking that President Biden would go in this direction, even though at the end of July, when uh, Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about federal government vaccine mandate, she said that's... A federal vaccine mandate was not the role of the federal government. But even though she said that, I've come to accept over the years that press secretaries lie and politicians lie. So, and press secretaries work for politicians, in, or in this case, the presidential press secretary. So, also on my mind right now is uh, it's the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And while it is, um, I'm in Japan now, so it wouldn't be exact as far as, I was going to say, around this time on 9-11, you know, early 7 a.m. where I was in the West Coast, uh, was when the shit was starting to hit the fan. And, uh, yeah, so I want to reflect on that a little bit and on a class I taught last night. But let's start with the uh, Biden stuff. So at the start of the Trump administration, I read this book by Ken Wilber, and it's called Trump and a Post-Truth World. And I remember even before reading that book, having a really, you know, this is a word I've kind of, well, I'll just say it. I, I, yeah, I'm not a big fan of using this language, but it is kind of the language right now. I had a download. <laughs> you know, I, I could call it an intuition, an, uh, a, a communication from my higher self is a way I could frame it. No matter how you say it, it sounds a little bit woo-woo, but I have these, and I think a lot of us have these moments where we get kind of these flashes of insight. And at the very start of the Trump administration, uh, I had a few of those, and one of them was, take your attention off of Trump. It's going to be this kind of 24-hour, like there's going to be just a lot of changing stuff, but a lot of it's just not going to stick. It doesn't really matter. Focus yourself inward. And then that kind of became do some shadow work and just some inner work. And I remember posting about that on my Facebook page and uh, doing that. And part of it was I think I was realizing uh, over that winter and watching, you know, when I watch the collective events, I reflect upon them and ask about 
the things I'm seeing out there, are they going on in, in my own world? Are they, you know, what, what's happening out there that's also happening in here? And I noticed, you know, after Trump won, that there wasn't a lot of self-reflection going on from the, the Hillary team and the, you know, the people who had supported Hillary. And to me, it seemed like, you know, if you lose to a guy that you have basically helped get in there as far as being your opponent because you thought you would crush him, then the, go- the the thing you need to do is go back and look at, like, well, how did I do, what did I do wrong? You know, like, that's the first thing. And I, I think about this when I think about my experience playing team sports and also being a sports writer and following sports over the years that, you know, a team, a good coach, after his team loses a game that, especially when they're predicted to win it, and when they themselves think they're going to win it, they need to go back and realize what did we do wrong? Not focus on, you know, the referees lost the game for us or the weather conditions or the, the opposing fans or the other team cheated or, you know, those are factors. But really, the main goal is you should figure out what you did wrong. And so I took this as kind of my imperative and I suggested to other friends who, you know, were on the team Hillary and I'm by the way I wasn't on team Hillary I didn't vote for either of them but you know people who were on the left and the Democratic side team blue the blue team I suggested to them that we all do the same and well I don't think a lot of people did that and I think we can see that by the way current events are playing out right now and so what I mean by that is Trump was seen as his divisive president and in many ways I think he was But what I think Trump was doing was actually speaking the quiet part out loud. And I know that's another kind of popular meme lately, but it's a good one. And what I mean by that is, you know, Trump would speak about like there's blue states and red states and kind of, you know, and he would speak to basically the red states are my states and the blue states aren't. And, you know, as a president, you can't do that. You know, you can't. You're supposed to be president for everyone. And so Biden ran as like, you know, I'm going to I'm going to heal the country. I'm going to, you know, this country is very divided right now and I'm going to be president for all Americans because that's what presidents should do. And yet yesterday, despite saying they weren't going to do this. And also, I will point out, despite pretty much most of my many of my kind of left, you know, supporting friends, my, my team blue friends saying that this wasn't going to happen. Yesterday, Biden decides that, okay, you know, we got to do the federal vaccine mandate. And to me, that's about as divisive of a policy that you could do. And then in his speech. Okay, the following clip is me reading an excerpt from President Joe Biden's speech on Thursday, September 9th, 2021 trying to convince the unvaccinated to get vaccinated as part of his speech on his new federal vaccine mandate. And my message to unvaccinated Americans is this. What more is there to wait for? What more do you need to see? We've made vaccinations free, safe, and convenient. The vaccine has FDA approval. Over 200 million Americans have gotten at least one shot. We've been patient, but our patience is wearing thin. And your refusal has cost all of us. So please, do the right thing. But just don't take it from me. Listen to the voices of unvaccinated Americans who are lying in hospital beds, taking their final breaths, saying, If only I had gotten vaccinated. If only. It's a tragedy. Please don't let it become yours. When I heard that yesterday, I thought, this guy is not communicating at all to the unvaccinated. He's using kind of threatening language. Our patience is wearing thin. He's blaming, so that's blaming. And yeah, I, re- I just read the rest of the speech, which I hadn't read yet. And yeah, the whole thing is basically saying that it's all the fault of the unvaccinated that COVID continues to this day. And then at the end, he's using fear, you know, like if you don't, do this, you're going to be one of these people on their deathbed. And it's like, it's interesting on that note, on that topic, because, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, oh, those are just anecdotes. And now I'm I'm talking about, so some of the media I follow, like I follow all media, media from many different perspectives, and some of the media I follow, 
the anecdotes they're they're reporting are anecdotes of people having vaccine injuries and deaths. Those are out there. And yet the anecdotes that CNNs of the world will share are the anecdote that Biden just referred to there, which is an unvaccinated person gets COVID-19 and then they're on their deathbed. And they're like, if only I had been vaccinated. And so I think both those things are true. Both those stories have happened. But it is interesting that, you know, also throughout his speech, he's speaking about how, you know, these vaccines are safe and they're effective. Okay, let's start with both two, those two things. So safe. Okay, I'm not sure about that. I don't know. And I know that there's a risk in them. You know, I know that people, that some people have died. And the reason I say I'm not sure about that is because I don't, how, how do we know? Like, the media is not covering it. The media has a clear slant right now. And I say that from media from all sides, you know, like the the anti-vax media, if you want to call it that. You know, like everybody has a clear agenda right now. But, you know, there's no objective media that's just like, all right, we need to cover this story and get it right. I, I don't know. I don't know of any objective media. And, you know, the government, I don't think is they, – they didn't make some big effort to be like, okay, everybody – we're going to start this mass vaccination campaign and it's, you know, we want to make sure that if you have an issue with it, you know, something happens, it is, there's an easy, understandable system to report it. Um, we're going to have you work through your doctors, whatever. There is none of that. There's none of that. You know, there's no clear messaging to try to track the safety of the vaccines. I, you know, and you can't refer to, well, but the, the studies said, you know, the, the pharmaceutical companies said that they're, you know, they're in their tests that they were safe. Like, okay, fine. But I'm talking about like the experiment that's being done on the public. So there's that. And, you know, people, people will argue, I, I can hear it now that, well, if they're so unsafe, how come we're not, you know, wouldn't, you know, there's been hundreds of millions of people. Wouldn't we be seeing that? Well, and I don't want to go into this too far again, but I've made this point before, you know, People who may be getting sick right now and may be having issues may not even be thinking that this is vaccine related. And then some, I know this is also some anecdotes I've heard, people who have had issues and had it very soon after getting the vaccine, like within days, and then gone to their doctors and been like, and the doctors, they've said, oh, no, 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 that's not, that's not the vaccine. So I just, it's, a, it's a, one of those, I don't know how safe they are. That's first. Second, effective. Now, I've been granting that uh, they are effective in reducing the symptoms. If you get COVID-19, your symptoms won't be as bad. Okay, so in that case, I get, yeah, you can say they're effective. Now, again, like I'm speaking this like th that's me putting a little bit of faith into what I'm hearing and reading. And that, in, that, in next, this case, it's faith in a lot of the kind of, you know, the mainstream reporting. And then also, I, I will say, I guess I could say in my case of my mother, Having been vaccinated, she got COVID-19 and she recovered. And she's 75 years old. So, and, you know, um, and she's, you know, she has some of the comorbidities. She's not, she's overweight, I would say. So I, I, I've been kind of like, okay, I, I think that in that case, they have been effective. But are they effective in keeping people from getting COVID-19? Well, no, not necessarily. And, you know, they say breakthrough cases, but I think that there's a lot I think they kind of admitted that there's a lot more of those with the Delta variant and this and that than they thought. So that means that, you know, and then are they effective in stopping people with the vaccine from spreading it? Well, then no. And I made the argument that I think that the vaccinated may be very likely to be spreading it more than the unvaccinated, because if you are saying that, you know, if we're agreeing that the symptoms are reduced from getting vaccinated, then if you were to get COVID-19, uh, you would be more likely to, you know, I'm not, I don't feel that bad. And then you go out and you go about your business uh, or you might be asymptomatic and not know where if someone who's unvaccinated, they, you know, the symptoms are worse. Um, you're not feeling very good. You're just not going to go out and spread it as easily. Now, you know, so that, that the whole argument for, you know, to stop the spread we need everybody to be vaccinated. I think that argument kind of falls on its face based on the evidence of what we're seeing. Now, okay, but getting back to Biden and his mandate and just that whole tone of the speech, 
he was speaking about how there's like 25% of, you know, he says 25% of Americans, they're the problem. And it's, you know, it goes back to the Hillary Clinton basket of deplorables. You know, that's basically what, what's happening here again, is there's this kind of like dividing of the nation into 75% of you are good people. You did the, he said it in his speech, like you did the right thing. But the 25% of you, like, well, our patience is wearing thin. Like, you're the problem. And that's an awful, you know, I, I actually think he's under, I don't know the exact numbers, but I think it's more than 25%. But, but it's an extremely divisive policy to come up with something where, you know, in your, in your framing, like 75% of you are good, but 25% of you are a big problem, so I'm going to make it so that you have to join us, you know, like, and if you don't, like, your life is going to become miserable. I don't know how that's healing the nation. I don't know how that's not creating further divides. And I'll just say as someone who, now, okay, let me speak to my situation, because maybe if you're listening to this, you're like, who is this guy? And we're, we're you know, obviously he doesn't, hasn't gotten vaccinated. Um, but, you know, I live in kind of a rural area. Eh, not rural. It's it's suburban suburban slash rural area of central Japan. And my life, uh, I work basically mostly do a lot of online teaching. Uh, I've got a couple of classes in person, but and most of my time I'm spending I'm not around others all that much. Okay, now if I'm gonna steal man the argument that they're making. Joe Biden side, you know, they they believe that if everybody, if we can just get everybody vaccinated or, you know, the vast majority of people who can, you know, people who don't have medical reasons, then we can stop COVID-19. That's, that's the argument for why they're doing this. I'll, I'll say this. I, I'm not a virologist. I'm just, again, I'm a teacher. I'm an, you know, English teacher and I'm a right creative writer. And I'm not, you know, trained at all in the sciences, nor do I really want to be. I'm not, <laughs> never been that person, especially in medical sciences. So I don't know. You know, I can't say for whether that's true or not. Uh, my intuition is that it's not going to happen. It, it's an it's an unrealistic expectation, and it was from the get go that you're going to get enough people on board with, you know, this if the, if the idea because again they, they they've set this goal at you know so many million americans but they they reach that goal and now they're like well that's not enough like the pandemic keeps going on and you know i mean you could tell like just looking at the history you could tell that their kind of predictions and their sense making about where this thing was going has been unrealistic and you can tell it by what they did in may and i said this at the time in may may 13th the CDC was like, no, everybody can, you don't have to mask anymore. And, you know, it's, we're good. We're good to go kind of thing. Right. And to me at the time, I thought, oh, this is a political decision. It's not health based. Um, this is a decision to reward those people that got vaccinated. And, you know, there was some criticism at the time. It was like, well, how do we know if people, maybe the unvaccinated will unmask too and this and that. And that was legit criticism. But, to me, it was like they were trying to say, like, look, we've got this same beat. It was kind of the mission accomplished moment, you know, going back to 2004 George, or 2003 when George Bush was like, you know, get on the old battleship and say we've accomplished our mission in Iraq. And then, yeah, we all know what happened there. <laughs> it was kind of that moment, you know, where it's like this hubris and this kind of like we've got it done. And so, yeah, so like their idea that they don't really know what they're doing and the, the idea that they, they don't understand and they never have tried to understand the kind of reasons people have all, you know, the, the, the vaccine hesitancy. And here's what this gets to, folks. This is not a public health issue on a, on a deeper level. This is, a, this is an issue of a breakdown in trust in our institutions and our institutions saying, we don't fucking care that you don't trust us. Obey, <laughs> you know? Like, and that's why, I, you know, they, they don't understand. I don't know if the, I think maybe they do understand that. But Biden, I don't know what Biden understands at this point. I think he's been off his rocker. 
Well, I think all much of his life. I think the guy's. I've never. I've always been very unimpressed by him, and found him to be uh, a real snake. A real snake. You know, I think he often plays his part of. I'm a compassionate guy. Look at all I've been through. But then when it comes down to like his policies, there's been often this kind of punishing, like you do this or else. And you know, the crime bill in 1994. That guy wrote that. He was one. I think he was you know one of the co-authors. And at the time, he was going on the, on the floor of the Senate trying to be more tough on crime than, you know, all of his fellow Democrats. And, uh, he's always had that tendency in him to be kind of this, like, you know, listen to daddy. And yet, because he came in on the tail, the, the heels of Trump, the, the Democratic side and the media that, you know, that, that the media that is Democrat leaning or supporting, they can't see that. They cannot see that about him, and they can't see this these mandates as being any you know no, nothing authoritarian about them, not no no overstep of the government. But I do wonder, you know, if like it had been Trump, how would they have covered this, you know? So that's where we're at with uh, the vaccine mandate, and uh, I'm not surprised at all that this happened, and it's going to be interesting to see what's going what's going to happen next. I've heard some governors are already, I haven't, you know, this happened yesterday morning and I didn't really follow the news cycle that much after that, but I heard a little bit that some governors are saying we're not going to require that and there's going to be some lawsuits and, you know, I'm going to speak real quickly, you know, I've talked because I do talk about this on my podcast and I'm kind of an amateur astrologer and I, you know, I have I, I play with, I play with astrology as an interesting sense making lens. And the U.S. in uh, the end of, I'm sorry, or February, uh, at that time, Pluto will be at the same position in the sky that it was when the Declaration of Independence was signed. And this is known as the Pluto return. And, you know, because it only happens once every, it's like 250 years approximately. So for humans, we don't have this experience, but for nation states or empires, uh, they do, and historically speaking, there's been research done about when nations and empires go through Pluto returns. It can be a very challenging time, and it's kind of a death-rebirth cycle. And sometimes that means uh, the rebirth doesn't happen. So it can mean the end of empires, you know, and because Pluto it basically is about that cycle, the transformative death-rebirth it's going down to the depths of, you know, it's deep psychology. And so knowing we were coming up on that and, you know, because Pluto is a very slow moving planet in, you know, as far as how long it takes to go around the sun. So this means that this, the impact of the Pluto return, it's not just like it, it's only on February when it's going to happen. Actually, it's probably, I would say like an eight year kind of window. So you can go back to. And you might, I think, you, could, you know, give or take, you can go back 10, 10 years either way. But I've often thought kind of 2016 to 2024 is kind of the window, even though it's happening early 2022. So that's not, you know, not putting it right in the center. So maybe 2016 to 2026, you know, you could do it that way. That's probably a good, a good way to do it. Yeah. Um, and there's some other astrological things happening that really show how this this era between now and the late 2020s, like 2027, uh, there's a lot going on. And without using the astrology, I think I kind of had this intuition that this 2020s are maybe the to the U.S. what the 1980s were to the Soviet Union. And so that's the question I have is like, will America survive this decade? And, you know, I don't know. I'm still, you know, I see... Can see both make an argument for both sides of that, but it's definitely going to emerge from the 2020s a lot different place, I think. And yeah, this news of this mandate by the federal government. And, you know, I will say that it's interesting how in other countries, which are more like the state has more power um, than in the U.S., that other countries like Australia and Canada and countries in Europe, other Western countries. Uh, quote-unquote democracies 
they kind of rolled out vaccine mandates and things a lot faster than in the U.S. The U.S. was kind of trying to do it by suggestion and, you know, companies and kind of each business will do it their own way. And um, but now it's like the patience has run thin. So now now that now the U.S. has joined the fray and it'll be interesting. I mean, I'm really interested to watch how it goes down. I'm going to say this now. I have a lot of I feel very privileged in the position I'm in with my with my work situation and living in Japan. I don't think I'm going to be under threat of such a mandate for any time soon. But for me, I, I've just I've made a decision, and the, you know this decision is in a lot of ways I don't want to even talk about it anymore. But this decision is based on a lot of factors, and it's not just about health at this point. But that I wouldn't, you know, a vaccine mandate from a company would just be like, all right, I guess I can't work for this particular company, and. Yeah, I want to say something about just the confusion of these times. Watching people who are people who you once had a lot of respect for and them saying suddenly kind of to me having just kind of gone crazy. So first, the ACLU. The ACLU is now arguing that vaccine mandates are actually a sign of liberty because we're protecting the vulnerable. And it's a sign of, you know, liberty to be for vaccine mandates. And I'll post a link to a recent report that Kim Iverson did on the Hill Rising. And that's a little update, a media update. Yeah, Kim, who is a one of the media people who I've long respected for the past four or five years since I, since I found her. Uh, and I'm really glad to see that She's gone on to rising now, and you know she and she's kind of reinvigorating that program. Um, but yeah, it's insane to think that the ACLU would sell out its principles of individual liberty to argue that you know for kind of collective liberty. And that's the next one I want to get to. So this sports writer, Dave Zirin, who I really liked and still think, you know, like, but. I don't know. I just read an article that he wrote. Like, it's interesting. I hadn't read him in over a year, I think, because I used to get his uh, emails to, to an email account that I now no longer check that often, but just happened to be on that email account the other day, and I saw his article. And the article was about the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts, Carson Wentz, and he's choosing to remain unvaccinated. And Zirin was making the case that Wentz was being, you know, super hyper-individualistic and machismo and all this. But in the article, he said, it's not an individual choice. It's a collective choice. Actually, let me read the quote, because I just pulled it up here. He says, of course, being unvaccinated is not a personal decision, not in the slightest. It's a community decision, a question of public health. To not get vaccinated is like telling your community to get screwed. Now, of course, being unvaccinated is not a personal decision, not in the slightest. I mean, come on. This is where, you know, clearly it's a personal decision as well as one that that impacts the community, right? Clearly, it's a both and. It's not an either or. Clearly, I mean, it does start with the individual. My individual body is choosing, you know, I'm choosing to have this thing put into my individual body. So of course it's an individual, it is a personal decision on that level. But then you can make the case, which I think he does, he does make the case that, you know, this person's making this decision and it's going to impact his team and this and that. But this is where we've seen this kind of insane switch from the individual doesn't you know, there's no, no, nothing, to, it's collectivism. It's just like, that's it. That's all that matters. You as an individual don't matter. And then framing any sort of opposition to that or any even questioning of that as, oh, you're selfish. And this is what people have been, you know, the, the people who are kind of on the right, they're pointing out. And I feel like, you know, I'm almost 50 years old, but one of my own flaws in all the things I've read over the years, like, I wish I knew more about the history of, China. And I'm, I've been kind of learning some about it, but I want to read about the Cultural Revolution and this notion that the 
individual just doesn't matter and we have to do it. It's all for the community. Well, I live in Japan and have since 2004, so 17 years now. And that is kind of the, the ethos here. And I can tell you, I mean, you know, it's it's the ethos, but there's also, it's not over, like, over the top, but it can be. And, well, I can tell you that teachers here, for example, like, you might go into teaching because you want to teach junior high school English, but when you're younger, that doesn't matter. Like, they're like, all right, this year you're being trained. Like, they tell you they, every year at the end of March, middle to end of March, because the school year changes in April. All right, you're being transferred to become a special needs teacher for elementary school teachers. This happened to two people, two English teachers I knew, you know, when they were in their like their late 20s. And it's like they they, they had training in teaching, you know, English, and that was their dream. That was what they wanted to teach. But the the, the board of education, this is what you got to do. They want to keep their job. There's no arguing it. And to me, that's insanity. Like. But that's how the thing is. That's how it's done because it's the group, the group that matters. We need you here. <laughs> and that's just kind of a, you know, that's kind of a. It seems like a minor example, but to the, I can tell you, to those teachers' lives, it wasn't a minor deal. But hey, you got to do it for the group, everybody. Um, what are you selfish? Well, no. Like this is what I, I'm good at. I, I, I know who I am as a person. This is my. This is what my dream is. Doesn't that matter? No. Well, you you can get there. You just got to wait a few years. Just be patient. Do it for the team, you know? And again, I understand that thinking to some level, but it can be taken to an extreme. And I think that this art, this quote I just read from Dave Zirin, you know, saying that there's not in the slightest getting vaccinated is not like a personal decision. Come on. That's ridiculous. Okay. I have returned home. And as you may have noticed, I have not got to the 9-11 topic. I think I might save that for next week. Okay, thanks for uh, for listening.